that's my little girl. She's amazing. And uh, perhaps the joy of the last six weeks was getting to spend so much time with her. So thank you to the church for that and for that just joyous occasion of being able to be a father for the past few weeks. It's good. Oh man, it's hard not to cry looking at that. Um, We are here in this worship series on Acts, and even on this Father's Day, this is where we are. We've been in the series for the past few weeks, and I look forward to today. In the previous chapter, when Pastor Mary was preaching, Stephen, who is one of the people who's been caught up in what the Spirit of God is doing, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and a bunch of people have received the Holy Spirit and have caught a vision of what God is doing through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and God at work in Jerusalem at this time. And Stephen is one of those people, and he becomes a leader amongst them. He is arrested, and he is brought before the council in Jerusalem. And when he's in front of the council in Jerusalem, he is brought forth with a bunch of false witnesses that say all these things about him, that aren't telling the truth about him. And when it comes to Acts chapter 7 now, the council turns to Stephen himself and says, Stephen, what do you have to say for yourself? And so the very first 45 verses plus of Acts chapter 7 is Stephen's long speech. I won't read it for us, but I just want to paraphrase a little bit of Stephen's speech. Stephen begins to connect with his hearers in an interesting way. He tries to identify with them and say, we have a common background, we have a common story. And even singing that last song of I love to tell the story, I just feel like that's a very interesting song to mix together with this text because that is exactly what Stephen is doing. He's not just saying my story, but he's saying this is our story. This is our story that I'm telling you about the God of our, father ha- uh, the God of our fathers, of Abraham, of Jacob, of Joseph, Moses. This is our rich history of faith. And God is doing something fresh and new. The same God that made that promise through our forefathers is doing a fresh and new thing right now through the Holy Spirit in this place and is bringing about people into relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Something amazing is happening right now. That's a bit of my paraphrase. And there's this powerful moment at which the we in the room, the our story switches a bit. And Stephen begins to say, now here's where you are, council. Here's where you are, leaders of Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to pick up on Acts chapter 7 now, verse 46. So you can follow along on the screen in front of you, or you can also pick up a Bible if you would like to do that as well. I'll be reading Acts chapter 7, verses 46 through chapter 8, verse 3. Listen to God's word. Who found favor with God and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the house of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for God. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and his murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, 
they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. And Saul approved of their killing him. That day, a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a very challenging story to look at in Acts chapter 7. There's quite a bit of violence in the end of this story for this person who got caught up in what it was that the Holy Spirit was doing, and he is executed. It's a terrifying story. It's a horrifying story. I think one of the challenges for us as we begin to look at this text is to, to look at Stephen's death just the right amount. There's a way in us when we come to some of these stories in the scriptures that we just want to run by it as fast as possible. Maybe we even see the heading, Stoning of Stephen, and we just skip on. We don't, we don't want to read this. We just move on down the road. But then sometimes there can be another part of us as humans that, you know, sometimes you're driving on the highway and there's an accident on the other side of the highway and you just have to stop and look and you become a voyeur of violence. You become a voyeur of death that's nearby. And so there's this delicate balance in which we look at the story about Stephen to not on the one hand run away from it and not on the other hand look at it for too long, but look at it just right and, and wonder together in the spirit, why this happened? Like, why was Stephen stoned? What did Stephen say that enraged the council so much so that they would drag him outside of the city and do this to him? I think there's a couple of things that happen in Acts chapter 7 that account for this reality. One of it is that God is doing a new thing through the Holy Spirit right? A few weeks ago when we celebrate Pentecost, that is this amazing story that we rehearse every year as a church at that season. And it's a beautiful thing. God's Holy Spirit is poured out on people from all these nations. It's amazing. Stephen's story, when he's talking to the council, recounts for them how the promises of God came through their forefathers, through Abraham, through Jacob, through the 12 tribes of Israel, through Moses. And 
he is telling them that a new thing is happening. A new thing is happening through the Holy Spirit, which is that in the old version, in the way of the old, God was meeting people and blessing the nations through the 12 tribes of Israel, through the seed of Abraham. But now in the Holy Spirit, people have direct relationship with God, with the triune God. It's this amazing thing that's taking place. These are two different things that are happening. And so when Stephen tells them this, that you don't need to be blessed through Israel anymore, but you can have direct access to the God of our forefathers now as a result of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This is like cognitive dissonance for this council. They just cannot handle what they hear from Stephen. And not just that, but at the very beginning, you could probably hear when Stephen was talking about how the temple that God has made is not made with human hands, but is made with divine hands. Like what God is doing is happening through the Holy Spirit. And so here Stephen is in Jerusalem telling the leaders of the temple, of the council, that the very thing that they are charged to be stewards of is not actually that important. I mean, it's profoundly provocative. And in the midst of this speech, I think we should remember they are a we at this point. They knew each other. They knew Stephen. This is an intimate conversation between colleagues, between friends, between family, frankly. These are not two outside groups talking to one another, but they are two people talking to each other. So I think you can see that all this change that happens, that Stephen says is happening through the Holy Spirit, results in this profound cognitive dissonance, and they just take him outside the city, and it erupts in this incredible violence. And it's shocking and terrifying to see this violence. And especially for those of us who know the story of Scripture, to see Saul, this young man standing there, watching and approving of the killing of Stephen. One of the interesting things that happens as a result of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit gives us a new mission. God gives us a new mission through the Holy Spirit, which is to tell this story that God's love is poured out through the Holy Spirit on all people. It doesn't need to come through a specific physical structure or building or even a particular people, but that God through the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people so long as they want to receive it. It's this incredible gift and blessing that God has given, but it's a massive change compared to what Stephen was communicating prior. But it's a beautiful change, and it's a beautiful thing. Through the Holy Spirit, God has given us a new mission. God has given us a new missional reality. And for us that believe in this missional reality of the Spirit being poured out for all people in this beautiful story, it means that our task is to align the systems of our life with that mission, to align the systems of our life with that mission. See, I think that's partly why the leaders at the council couldn't handle it, because it meant that they had to devalue the temple. It meant that they had to devalue, frankly, what it was their job was all about, and they simply could not do that. It was cognitive dissonance for them. Let me try to give you an analogy of what I mean about a missional reality and systems fitting into missional reality. Um, the past few weeks, I haven't had the chance to watch too much TV, but just a little bit here and there when I get a chance. And it usually comes at about 10 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. when I'm trying to get my son to fall asleep. And I sit on a yoga ball and I rock him for a while. And while I'm sitting on the yoga ball rocking him, one of the TV shows I got to watch for the past few weeks that was just awesome for me was the docu-series on ESPN called Last Dance. It was about the 1990s Bulls team and 
Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Steve Kerr and Phil Jackson. It was so much fun to watch the show. I was a child of the 90s and I grew up obviously adoring uh, Michael Jordan and I played basketball and I wanted to be like Mike. So it was fun to kind of revisit my childhood in a way and revisit the story about Michael Jordan. And in the story, it's really fascinating because we all know Michael Jordan's the best basketball player of all time. And there was a couple of seasons there in the beginning of the 90s where he and his team, led by their head coach, Doug Collins, made it to the Eastern Conference Championship two years in a row. And they met the Detroit Pistons there. And they lost both of those Eastern Conference Finals. It was uh, just a, ter- it was a horrible experience for Michael Jordan and for everybody. They got to almost to the edge of getting to a championship, and they just couldn't do it. Now, the general manager at the end of that second year decided to fire Doug Collins and hire a new head coach. Now, that's, that's almost unbelievable to do that. They had so much success. They almost reached the pinnacle. Why fire that head coach? Well, essentially, Phil Jackson decided to come in and bring a new offensive system to help them win a championship with the Bulls. They recognized that Michael Jordan was the best basketball player of all time, and the previous head coach wanted to give him the ball as much as possible, just let him shoot 50 times a game. And that worked really well during the regular season and during the playoffs until they met the Pistons, and they just had everybody come crash down on Michael Jordan, and they just couldn't get past that hurdle. So Phil Jackson comes in as head coach the next season and says to Michael Jordan, I'm going to take the ball away from you more. Michael Jordan's got the most power in the world at this point. He's the best player ever. And Phil Jackson says, I'm taking the ball away from you, and we're going to institute a new offensive system called the triangle offense, which means you get to play the role of distributor, passer. You can assist more. You can help get your teammates open, like Steve Kerr, like other people, like Scottie Pippen. You can rely on your teammates more. And the change was incredible. They wanted to win a championship. That's always kind of the goal. The goal never really changed in the midst of their story of wanting to win a championship. But they shifted the system to match their goal and the personnel who was present. And they went on to unprecedented success. They took the ball away from Michael Jordan a little bit more. And that change could have been really hard for him. It probably was. He probably thought, why are you taking the ball away from me? And then, In the next eight years, they won six championships as a result of that new offensive system and that change that happened in that space. And they went on to unprecedented success. When we talk about changing systems like the system of basketball, Michael Jordan probably could have been really hurt thinking about seeing all that change in his life and getting the ball taken away from him. And change is tough. Change can be really tough for us as we change the systems in our reality. Change could have been really tough for that council in Jerusalem. Change is tough for us, obviously. In the last six weeks, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, all I could think about is three months ago when I slept all night long. (laughs) And I haven't had a full night's sleep in forever. And so change is hard. And we can dwell on the hard and the difference as before. But sometimes we might miss what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing present in us right now. And remembering this mission that God has for us to tell the story about how God's spirit is being poured out on all people. This is the most beautiful part of the Christian journey to me. I was talking to staff earlier this week, and that's what I love about this part of Acts chapter 7, frankly, is that there is change, there is growth, there is learning. We're never stagnant in our relationship with God. The spirit is alive 
And the Spirit is with us right now. And so changing our systems, family, government, economy, wherever you may be, like we get to alter and shift these things to fit the missional reality that God has given to us. This is a beautiful thing. I think we would be a bit hard-pressed when it comes to looking at Acts chapter 7 to not acknowledge the Black Lives Matter movement right now. I mean, there's so much overlap between what happens in Acts chapter 7 and 8 and what's going on in our world right now with the Black Lives Matter movement. Stephen is dragged outside of the city and is executed by actors of the state, the religious and the political rulers of that city-state, of that place, of Jerusalem. And we've seen recently the killings of people by actors of the state, George Floyd, but also Rayshard Brooks. And we've seen, even there was a story on Friday I just saw, I haven't been able to read enough about it, but a sheriff in Los Angeles County, a deputy, killed an 18-year-old Latino boy, young man, on Friday night. And the stories about it so far don't look so good for the sheriffs, but we don't have the full story right now. These things overlap so much. And I just want to share one of the things I've learned in the last four years about Black Lives Matter and how it pertains to the Holy Spirit. We as a church have been doing so much learning about this the last four years anyways. I was surprised to look in my archives and remember that it was Kamal Hassan came and preached four years ago and led a seminar here that was called The Holy Spirit and Black Lives Matter. That was four years ago. So we all have been doing so much learning. And I just want to share one thing that I feel like pertains to Acts chapter 7 is something I've learned recently. And that's this. Oftentimes when we think about racism, we think about it being this interpersonal dynamic, right? We think about it as if one person has a bias or a prejudice against another person for their skin color, for their behavior, for something like that. Um, and we, we have these kinds of prejudices and these biases that are interpersonal. And while that is one main component of racism, what I've learned in the last four years is that perhaps the more sinful reality in our lives is not just the interpersonal, but the ways in which those biases and prejudices got woven in to policy and procedures in the world in which we live. This is what they call systemic racism. I've been reading Michelle Alexander's book, again, The New Jim Crow, and living in this country and reading this book, it just all became so clear to me again by reading it, which is that from her perspective and what she writes about in The New Jim Crow is that for 250 years, we had a system of slavery. And the system helped achieve a certain kind of mission of economic dominance. And it meant that the white persons were over and against people of color, native people, black people, for 250 years. That system was replaced by a new system, but the mission never really changed in the country. This mission never really changed in the country. Jim Crow, segregation happened. And then after segregation ended in the 1960s, it was replaced by what she calls a new Jim Crow, mass incarceration. And if you read her book and you learn about it, you can see the explosion and the exponential reality of the ways in which people of color were systematically held against biases and prejudices as a result of simply who they, what they look like, who they are. And it's a really shocking story, but the mission hasn't really changed. 
This is where I think things have been beautiful in the last month. Obviously, there's a lot of hard things in the midst of this, and I wish we could have a conversation over a cup of coffee. But the beautiful thing I've seen be happening is that people are buying into the new missional idea that black lives matter. And we should believe in this, brothers and sisters in Christ, because we believe in the Holy Spirit being poured out on all people, that all people have dignity, that all people have worth, that all people are deserving of this profound love of God. And so this new missional idea is really changing. And people are beginning to think that perhaps our systems should reflect that truth when right now our systems and our policies and our procedures don't reflect that truth. But we're hoping to see those changes happen right now. And from friends I have that are involved in certain kind of movements, they're seeing some of these changes happen in systems. And that's a good thing, but it's a hard thing. Change is hard. Change takes a long time. Yet, I think this is where the Spirit is at work in this. And that's exactly where the Spirit was at work in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8 with Saul. It's so intentional that Saul is a part of this story. For he looks at Stephen's body, he approves of it, and then eventually the Spirit works his way into his life. And just like the Spirit will work into our lives as well, to remember that missional reality, God's Spirit is poured out on all people. That love, the telling the story is for all, and we get to be a part of that journey. Brothers and sisters, wherever you may be this day, and whatever systems you inhabit and you're a part of in your life, and however you may hear this word from Acts chapter 7 today, I invite you just to reflect with the Spirit right now. There's a lot of change happening in our world and our society and our families, and there's a part of us that just says, let's go back, let's go back. But where is the Spirit at work in your life right now? Where is the Spirit saying, hey, remember this missional reality that God has given to us to pour out on all people, to love all people, to share the story about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And pay attention to that, be attentive to it. And then seek in your own life ways in which you can continue to learn, to come alongside, and be in solidarity with changing of systems in our world to reflect the beauty of that mission that God has in this world. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, I give you thanks for your story and the stories of scripture for the hard ones, for the ones like this that are challenging, the Stephen's death. It does not go past me, God, that people came and lamented over his body. There's a lot of us who are lamenting over bodies right now. And so, Lord, I just ask that your spirit would be attentive to those who are in lament and that you would lead us from a place of lament to a place of being able to come alongside where you're at work in this world, God. Help us come alongside where the spirit is already at work, making your missional reality come true through the systems we work in. Families, work, economy, government, all these things. God, help us reflect the beauty of that love that you have for us in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's name. Amen.